Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, it's Tuesday. We always have Rick on on Tuesday, so we'll talk a little bit about what the Hornets did this past weekend. MKG getting some run, Marvin Williams possibly being on the market. We'll talk about a mock-up trade idea that Doug Branson worked really hard on. I actually kind of like the trade idea that he came up with. Also, a North Carolina native going to get honored by the Orlando Magic. And this. Does this well, yeah, make it's sense? easy for you no, to say this is not you. your trade idea. This, Yeah, go ahead and well, crap well, no. on my trade idea. Yeah, I see how you are, Walt. I'm trying to defend it if you would allow me to. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day, local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. We go to this expert every single Tuesday, Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer, and you can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell for all your Hornets coverage. Rick, always appreciate the time, man. How are you? I'm great. Hey, Walker, I'm glad you're feeling better. I I know you had kind of a rough rough couple of days. I did have a rough couple of days. I did not bathe in Purell like you told me to. I wish I would have or else uh, and and maybe I would have avoided all of that. So I am better. I appreciate that, Rick. Uh, Something I wanted to start off with when watching the Hornets play the Atlanta Hawks. I thought it was interesting that I think a lot of people would agree. MKG got some run and he got a lot of run. I think it was 23 minutes exactly that he got. Nick Batum had a did not play coach's decision. Why the move for Borrego? Why did Borrego choose to go with MKG over Nick Batum in your eyes? I don't know if that was a as much a specific MKG or Batum thing as it was him finally matching actions to what he was saying. Uh, twice in the last two weeks, he has gone out of his way to you know, you know, you know, to say there will be consequences if people start, don't start playing better. And, you know, guys, when he used that whole expression, nobody has a God given right to playing time. Um, sooner or later, you need to back that up with actions or you look like your words are hollow and that's dangerous for a coach to do. I knew it was going to be something. I didn't know it was going to be this. I didn't know it was going to be Sunday, but I knew that he was going to have to actually do something. And this is what this is the way he did it. Um, I do not see this as something that will be long term. I don't imagine, you know, it's not just that Nick makes all that money. It's that, you know, whether he's not worth that, whether or not he's worth that money, and we all know he's not. Um, the fact is, he's a versatile player on a team that you know is is not versatile. Um, I so I thoroughly expect Nick is going to work his way back into the rotation. And MKG, by comparison, is more limited, so I'd be surprised if he has a long-term role. But to me, that was a general, you know, that was a warning shot to the rest of the team. I'm not afraid to actually do something. Yeah, and and Rick, so with Nick Batum, I was just surprised to see that they would take maybe one of the the – the veteran guys off of the, or at least one of the better defenders, somebody that had been playing better defensively and instead taking Nick Batum out and then just exchanging him for Nick Batum. Do you see maybe Cody Martin getting more minutes? Like, do you think Borrego has some more tricks like that up of sleeve or do you have any clue? Um, you know, when he originally, you know, had that, you know, no God given right to minutes statement, 
Mm-hmm. My, I immediately concluded, well, that's fine, but how many options do you actually have on this roster to make statement changes? I, you know, what I'm saying is the people who can play, the people who are NBA people, they're all already playing. Um, and I didn't, I just, I, I know that JB, and this is very much a Greg Popovich thing, he's not afraid to do, you know, radical things, throw somebody into the lineup that, you know, hasn't been in the lineup for a month. Um, that was, that was something Pop does all the time in San Antonio, but the difference is it's not like there are people – there's not some DeJounte Murray, you know, at the end of the bench somewhere who you can just, you know, play a, a crazy Ivan, you know? They just aren't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Rick, uh, P.J. Washington went to the foul line this past contest 13 times. And I know, Rick, that you've talked about how that's a lot more valuable than people give it credit for, the ability to get to the free throw line. And it seems like James Borrego really liked that ability of P.J. Washington showing out in that way as well. What did you make of P.J. Washington's performance having over 20 points, but only on six field goal attempts because of all the free throw attempts that he had? I heard you and Doug on Monday's podcast talking about the way that J.B. sends messages. Um, I asked him yesterday at practice about, you know, how remarkable I thought it was that, you know, a rookie got himself to the foul line 13 times. And yes, he praised um, Washington, but I thought it was interesting that he used that as an opportunity to mention that everybody else on his team also needs to start taking that attitude that, you know, you're not going, you know, as, as he said, you're not going to get calls by shying away from contact. And it was clear that he has been disappointed in some other players' willingness to do that. And to me, that speaks to what I think is a really core problem with this team, which is there are very few people on this team who you would define as physical. Yeah, Miles Bridges, that was a problem with him coming out of college, Rick. Have you seen any development in that whatsoever? It seems like he still has trouble getting to the line. And and even with Dwayne Bacon is somewhat hard to figure out because he attacks, but it's not like he's getting to the foul line a a whole bunch. Are those some of the players that come to mind that struggle with that? Um, You know, with with Bacon, I don't think it's that he is reluctant to get to contact. Frankly, I think that for whatever reason, you know, when, when he said on media day that he can get to the rim anytime he wants to, that's true. The problem is he doesn't finish when he gets there. Um, you have to, you know, Kemba, you know, like most really accomplished players, un, you know, came to a real understanding of what, what he could do to manipulate a defender into either letting him score or, you know, doing something that gave a referee no choice but to call a foul. And, there's there aren't a lot of people on this team with that sort of sophisticated scoring ability in real time. Rick, we talked a lot about the backcourt. I, I mean, I again, I think the backcourt has been very interesting to watch how it's adapted, how Devontae Graham, of course, has come out on fire at the start of the season. How well does this Graham and Rozier backcourt work currently? And do you think it is sustainable? First of all, I'm glad you used the word currently because I think that I heard you know, there's another thing I heard you guys talking about on Monday. I don't know if this is a long-term solution for the reasons you stated, because if I'm Mitch Kupchak and I'm looking at the strengths and weaknesses of this team, um, I want to find a bigger guy as the long-term solution at shooting guard. Um, you know, in a perfect world and nothing's perfect, you would find a guy with um, Dwayne Bacon's dimensions 
but more Terry Rozier's skill set. Having said all that, um, I think people really need to respect how adaptive Terry Rozier has been. Um, he could really have let his pride get in the way of letting Devane be all this cool stuff that we see him being. Instead, he has embraced the idea of being a combo guard. He's not just effective off the ball. He's playing very well off the ball. He's putting up career numbers. That isn't just because he's playing more. Um, you know, he's being a good soldier, and they appreciate that. And you know something? Uh, in the same way that Marvin Williams is going to have a job in the NBA as long as he wants to, that sort of adaptive attitude is what keeps you around. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come back with more about the Marvin Williams situation. Shams Sharania tweeting out that several teams are monitoring the availability, the possible availability of Marvin Williams. So we'll ask Rick about that next segment. But first, I want to talk to you about Spotify. If you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrapped to show us your top Locked On podcast for the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live and the show of that, uh, the show host, I should say, of that Twitter account on Twitter, and we will share and retweet. Up next, a little bit more about Marvin Williams and the rest of what's been going on with the Charlotte Hornets. This is Locked On Hornets. But give me some positives. As That would annoy me as a head coach. I'd be like, look, you, you can't lose to the Bulls by 20 and come away and go, well, you know, let's look for some silver linings. Silver lining, game over. Next game. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I want to get to Marvin real quickly, but first with Terry, Rick, how surprised are you? that Terry has adapted so well at the beginning of the season? How, how different is that from what you had heard when he did make the move from Boston to Charlotte? I think it's more of a surprise to the rest of us than it is to him. You know, the, when I asked him the, for the first time about this week, a couple of weeks ago, he kind of looked incredulous that I would even ask him, you know, about adapting to this. He said, you know, he, he immediately pointed out, he said, he said, both in high school and in Louisville, he goes, I played the vast majority of, of minutes off the ball. He said that he's used to being a shooting guard and that this is not a struggle for him. It's not a burden for him. It's not a sacrifice for him. We talked about Devonte Graham's struggle inside the arc, how the two point percentage has not been good. Rick, how concerning is that to you? Is that just something that's kind of happened this season and it'll probably fix itself? Or do you think that's a real problem that needs to take care of itself? NBA advanced scouts are very good at their job and they catch up to you. And I thought it was interesting probably a week ago, you know, we talked to, to uh, the coaches, you know, about an hour and a half before each game. And a lot of times, sometimes it's very specific stuff like, you know, somebody's injury. Sometimes it's just shooting the breeze. And um, JB mentioned that he has started to see teams make a really concerted effort to chase Devonte off the three-point line, and it's it was interesting when you brought up the stat that he is shooting just terribly from two-point range. About what that says. Um, now the difference between you know him being not shooting well from two-point range and that being a major problem is he's been very good at you know he's, he's he hasn't just been a scorer this season. He's averaging like seven assists a game. And he also gets to the free throw line on a pretty you know frequent basis. I mean, this is the guy who had a 15 free throw game, so he is compensating for that. But it's you know I totally agree with what you you guys said Monday that that he needs to get a lot better at the mid range. 
Uh, Rick, uh, coming into the season, defense was a major focus uh, from from the staff. You heard it from the players, and yet they haven't played well defensively. Offensively, they've shot the ball very well from outside, uh, but they haven't played well offensively. W- what has surprised you most about this uh, this year's Hornets team, the offensive side or the defensive side in terms of the struggles that they've had? Boy, Doug, I'll... I'm trying to figure out how to answer that question. Um, my impression when you say that is I don't think of them as a bad offensive team, and I think of them as a bad defensive team. Um, I, I, I knew that almost the entire preseason was focused on, on defense, but honestly, I didn't have expectations that that was going to radically change anything in the short run. Rick Bennell joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Uh, Rick, do recent events make it more or less likely that the Hornets can get something for an expiring contract like a Marvin Williams or even a Biz the way that he's been playing? Uh, the best way I can answer that question is it, I think it's more likely, but that doesn't make it likely. Um, I think that the fact that Biz is demonstrating that he's useful, that he is not um, as bad offensively as he once was you can throw him the ball and you know it, it, you know you're not just taking your chances with it um i think that biz or marvin are people who that you know they teams would logically be interested in i don't see mkg that way um but at the end of the day the problem is somebody is going to have to offer the hornets a deal remember since ever, almost everybody in the league is over the salary cap some other team would have to roughly match uh, business or Marvin's salaries to make that happen. And that could mean the Hornets being asked to take on a bad contract beyond this season. That's something I, you know, Mitch is going to be very reluctant to do. I don't think that they're going to, I don't think any team's going to like give them these like, you know, great prizes behind curtain number two. Um, <laughs> I would think that a second round pick is the kind of thing that they would be offered. Maybe a real late first round pick, but frankly, you know, if you're picking 27th, you might as well be picking 32nd because the 32nd pick doesn't come with a with a an obligation of a, of a multi year guarantee, and the end of the first round does. Um, I would rate the chances of that happening at 30 percent. Yeah, and and Rick Sham Sharania of the Athletic did write that several teams are monitoring the trade availability of Marvin Williams, you know, it, it, one, how much sense, I, I guess you talked about the kind of percentage that that might happen in your eyes, but how much sense would it make for the Hornets to send Marvin Williams for something like you suggested, like maybe a second round pick, a couple late second rounds, a late first, a really late one. It just how much sense would it make to you to get rid of Marvin for something in that realm? I reported in July that the Hornets had made it clear to the rest of the league that they would, you know, listen to offers from Marvin. Um, the fact that he was here at the start of training camp said to me that whatever they were hearing, if they were hearing anything was underwhelming. Um, Marvin's really valuable here. I mean, he is the, he's a fantastic locker room guy. I think you can argue that he is neck and neck with Vladi Divac as far as the best teammate in franchise history. Um, and what I think what makes this a little bit different is generally in situations like this, a veteran who can still contribute to a to a playoff team would be lobbying, if not pressuring them, to trade him. 
Um, I haven't gotten any indication that Marvin is pushing them one way or the other about what they do. I think he's, I think he's perfectly happy um, staying here if that's how this works out. Um, again, I think this. Would you not agree with me? This goes back to: is the juice worth the squeeze? As far yeah. as what the Hornets would have to take back to make that happen. No, and I always, one, selfishly, I don't want Marvin to go. Marvin's been great. You talked about him being one of the best teammates of all time. Like, he's just, there's a reason he's going to win the media award. There's a reason he's just so pleasant to be around. And also, I wonder, is it more valuable for the young guys like a PJ Washington who plays a similar position, like a Miles Bridges who plays a similar position to learn from a Marvin Williams? It, there's not too many guys, I would imagine, that are better mentors to younger players than Marvin. And do you find that more valuable than a couple second round picks? Or do you want to try to package that for something? I, I don't know the answer to that, Rick, but it's certainly something I think worth considering. Not to mention... The other guy who was, had that effect in the locker room was Kemba. So if you lost both the people who were yeah. quickest to mentor, most capable of offering, you know, sage advice, you know, if you've got, you know, the, you know, um, the problem with being in such developmental mode and having so many young guys is they need somebody to learn from it. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. No, we've talked about that. I know Doug's talked about that a lot with the Phoenix Suns. That's been a take that he's mentioned quite a bit. And I agree. Rick Bennell of the Charlotte Observer joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. You can find him on Twitter for all Hornets coverage at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Sure thing, guys. Have a great day. Coming up in the third segment, we'll talk a little bit more about Sham Sharania's tweet about Marvin Williams and the teams looking for his availability. We've got a trade idea for you. Doug came up with one that I find pretty good and also a North Carolina native going to get honored that we'll end the show with. We'll talk about that next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast on the Lockdown Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. So if you don't believe in the moon landing, mm-hmm. then what would you say is the greatest human achievement? I think the greatest achievement of all time, and I think it's Vince Carter doing 360s clockwise it's rather really than counterclockwise. It's really tough. i tried it. It's really tough. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks again to Rick Bennell for joining us here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Always interesting stuff. So we do thank him uh, for joining us as he does every single Tuesday. Doug, you asked a question about the offense and the defense, and I thought it was interesting because I agree with him, right? You wouldn't watch this Hornets team and think, man, that is a really bad offensive team, especially when you compare it to their defense. Maybe there are some people that would say, wow, they, they really are bad offensively. But then you look at the stats and you look at their defense, I believe they're 27th in defensive rating, if I'm not mistaken, which again, understand that defensive rating and offensive rating, it doesn't mean that those are the end all be all stats that you can't put a ton of merit into those, but still how we're measuring the defense. They are one of the worst in the league and offensively, they're not as bad, but I think they're 22nd in offensive rating, Doug, as you uh, talked before the break or you spoke to before the uh, before we came back. What did you make of of Rick's comments and how do you evaluate the way that this Hornets team is offensively and defensively? Well, I think it's really interesting. I think Rick kind of hit the nail on the head. This team does not seem like it's a bad offensive team, and yet they do rank 22nd in the league. They're, they're below average in offensive rating. In fact, they were 
Uh, I believe I'm going to check this real quick. I believe they were let's let's check and see what they were last season in offensive rating. So if you look at last season, they were the Charlotte Hornets were actually 11th in offensive rating and this at 110. And this season they are 22nd at 106. So nearly a four a four point uh, dip in their offensive rating. And a lot of that has been because of turnovers. And a lot of that has uh, been because they have not played well from inside the arc and they're not getting fouled as much. But it wouldn't seem like that because last year's offense was boring, right? It was it was so controlled by Kimball Walker and how well he played, and yet it was a better offensive team. This season, worse offensive team, but you're getting more balanced scoring, so more players are scoring. It seems like the offense is playing a lot better, but it's really not. And I think that free throw differential is probably a, a key difference as well. I think turnovers for sure, but also free throw attempts. This team is uh, not getting to the line as much as other teams. I believe they're 27th in the league in free throw attempts. And I was looking up some stats because I wanted to find out, like, well, first of all, who on this team, who's taking free throws and who's not? Right now, Devontae Graham leads the team 3.7 free throw attempts per game. Behind him is Biombo at three free throw attempts per game. You don't really want him taking a lot of free throw attempts because he's not uh, necessarily a, a good free throw mm, shooter right, right now, 56.5% on the year. And then behind him, you've got Rozier, Washington, and Zeller all taking around two and a half free throws per game. Okay, so what, is, what does that mean in context? Well, I looked up Philadelphia. Uh, the 76ers right now are, are attempting 23 free throws a game, and that's about league average if you look at um, 29 free throws a game, I believe, uh, Houston Rockets, that's number one. And uh, the, the bottom team is 18 free throws attempts. So 23 right there in the middle. And they have Joel Embiid, who gets a lot of free throw attempts, eight and a half a game. Right. Behind him, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, all averaging three free throw attempts or more. Ben Simmons right at four. So the Hornets don't have that production behind. Well, first of all, they don't have a big who's getting uh, fouled a lot. And you don't want Biz to get fouled a lot. But then Dwayne Bacon, only one and a half. Miles Bridges, only one and a half. Malik Monk, only one and a half. So they've just got a lot of players that are not going inside and looking for contact. Yeah, and it's interesting because Malik Monk has actually shot pretty well, right? I believe it was 68% um, at the rim. And so it seemed like he was more aggressive. Devontae Graham, even though he doesn't shoot well inside the arc, he's been aggressive to get to the free throw line quite a bit. So you've seen some of the little guys do that. But then you look at guys like Miles Bridges, who only gets there one and a half times per game. Miles Bridges, you look at the amount of minutes that he plays per game. Miles is playing over 30, 30.6 to be exact. And then you look at Dwayne Bacon. Dwayne Bacon is the one that's interesting me, to me. And I talked about that a little bit with Rick. Like, Doug, I don't know what you notice from Dwayne, but Dwayne is not shy about driving to the rim. And so it's like, okay, why isn't he getting to the foul line more with the amount of times that he does drive to the rim? Does he get rid of the basketball a little too quickly to shy away from contact? Because it does seem like he's strong enough to get there with some contact and finish, but he just, he doesn't hit. Like we've talked about it. You know, he continues to be one of the worst basketball players by a lot of different measures who qualify enough for a lot of these stats because he just can't simply finish and he's not getting to the free throw line. Like to me, right. is it just one of those weird things where refs aren't calling it on him? Is he really not drawing enough contact? You just would 
think a guy that drives that much would get more attempts at the charity stripe than what he does. So I think there's a couple of things going on, Walker. Uh, one, looking for contact is a real thing. Like that's not just something that people say a lot. That's a real thing. Like players have to look for contact. They have to sell contact in order to get foul calls in certain situations. So there could be something. Well, and real quickly, before, mm-hmm. and, and sorry to interrupt, I was saying, just remember Kimball Walker last year drove me crazy at the end of the games, right? Like he would absolutely look for contact. I'm with you on that. Yeah, so so that's a real thing. So I think that's, that's one part of it. The other part of it is we have documented uh, the struggles that Dwayne Bacon has had with finishing around the rim. And I think if you're a player that is struggling in that area, you might shy away from contact. You might want a clean look at the rim instead of looking for the contact there because you're trying to put the ball in the basket. You're not focusing on trying to pick up the foul call, so maybe you 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 don't look for that contact. Malik Monk, I think, is a different story. He's used ball fakes and his just straight line speed. His looks have just been cleaner. You know, I mean, he just he gets by his defender a lot, and and when he gets to the rim, it's usually for an easy layup. It's why his percentages have been so good because I think his speed has allowed him to get to the basket clean and and play and defenses have not adjusted and they're not knocking him to the ground necessarily. So we mentioned also Sham Sharania writing that several teams are monitoring the trade availability of Marvin Williams. Sources have told the Athletics. So Doug, uh, what kind of trades would you like to see? Maybe the Hornets engage in, or what are some trades, hypothetical ones that you think? could be realistic. So I've got a trade idea here. I've been thinking a lot about this because I think Marvin Williams is the one player that the Hornets could shop out there and maybe bring back some assets because that's really what you're looking for. I've seen some people mention Marvin Williams for Courtney Lee. Courtney Lee's on an expiring contract. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you trade someone who's on an expiring contract for another player that's on an expiring contract? That that doesn't make any sense. It, it might help you. People love Courtney Lee, man. I guess. <laughs> I mean, back. it might help you a That's little. That's what it is. Yeah, I mean, it might help you a little bit this year. He's a, you know, he's a good rebounder. He's a good physical player, nice shooter, like I guess. But it doesn't make any sense for the long term, and that's what this team is supposed to be focusing on, right? So what I think they should do, I've said this many times, they should pursue the Brooklyn model, which is go out and find opportunities to acquire bad money in order to bring back assets. And there's one player in particular that I've got my eye on. So here's my idea. Marvin Williams for Gorgie Jing, plus if the Minnesota Timberwolves are desperate, maybe get a late first rounder or possibly multiple second rounders. That's probably more realistic. I've said I don't think that Marvin's going to bring back a first rounder, but you never know. Teams might get desperate. The Timberwolves are struggling right now. Maybe they struggle into the into the break no, toward, with you. towards the trade deadline. You might catch them on a, just kind of catch them on an off season. They feel like they can compete. They need shooting. This is a, a team that's not shooting the basketball well from beyond the arc. So you know, cat is really their only threat, uh, really only legitimate threat from outside. So you add someone like Marvin to that team. I think it helps them. Here's the contract situation. Marvin Williams, $15 million. He's expiring. Gorgie Jing, 16.2 million this year. So the contracts line up. 17.2 next year. So that's the negative. You got to take the negative to get the positive if you're the Hornets. So you deal with his 17 million next year and then say bye-bye Gorgie. Uh, but he's not but Gorgie is not getting enough minutes in Minnesota right now because of Cat. He's kind of been limited since the ascension of Carl Anthony Towns and how that team has really transformed in the in the post Thibodeau era. And so Jing, he wants more minutes, he wants more playing time. He's 
He's a shot. I mean, he's a little bit of a shot blocker. He's, he can give you some rim protection that you're not getting from other players. Plus, he's developed into a competent three-point shooter. He's sort of similar to Cody Zeller. He kind of has a three-point shot. No. So yeah. I, I like this deal. I like it. Uh, looking at it right now, and w- when you talk about the first rounder and stuff, like I'd, uh, what I hate about when people evaluate trades, like if you don't think it's going to happen, fine. But I just hate people. Oh, that's ridiculous. Nobody would give up a first rounder, a late first rounder for Marvin. It's like, yeah, we see we see crazy trades all the time that we all disagree with. Like if you're going to be, if you're going to crap on this deal then fine like i feel you on that like we can evaluate that wholeheartedly and say okay does this well, yeah, make it's sense easy for you no, to say this is not, not you. your trade idea this yeah go ahead and well, crap well, no. on my trade idea yeah i see how you are walker i'm trying to defend it if you would allow me to i'm trying to defend it but no i'm, I'm saying there are a lot of teams that might get desperate enough to think oh, okay well man we really want some three-point shooting okay fine let's just give them a late first round pick and so that's something that's always bothered me people will come in on twitter and be like oh my god what a stupid trade idea that's never going to happen okay if you think that's stupid then i feel you but don't say it's never going to happen because how many trades have we seen in the past where it's been a lot more ridiculous than a lot of people have been able to predict so really we have no clue i could absolutely see this being a possibility And I'll say this too, like if you look at the trade market, I was listening to Hollinger and Duncan, uh, our national show here on the Locked On Podcast. Yeah, go ahead and listen to those guys. They're, They're the smartest in the game right now. But they were talking about the trade market in general, Walker, and they said, look, there are a lot of teams that feel like they're in championship contention, but there isn't necessarily a dearth of like players available that they could piece together for those rosters and upgrade. So do you see kind of an arms race where Marvin Williams all of a sudden becomes a lot more valuable to a Minnesota, to uh, to one of the Los Angeles teams, to a Houston as, as that one piece that they need? And they might be willing to part with a first rounder over a second rounder. Uh, now, some of those L.A. teams and a few of the contenders don't have their picks. That could be an issue for the Hornets. Uh, but, you know, I think if Minnesota misses, say they go after Gallinari and they miss – well, Marvin Williams is sitting there. He's he's Galilite, and I think he honestly he might even he's probably a worse offensive player than Gallinari, but a better defensive player. So, you know, I, I think yeah, you, you if they get desperate enough, I think you can you can get a first round pick for Marvin, maybe. Yeah, like did 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 PJ Tucker get traded to the Rockets or was he signed? Like, I because I remember you know PJ Tucker has been someone that's kind of been one of those pieces that's valuable on the trade market. Like Lou Williams is always one of those guys. I remember when the Hornets were reportedly interested in getting Lou Williams to try to have that last push to the playoffs. So when you look at a couple of those guys, I think Marvin kind of is could be not in the mold of a Lou Williams, very different players, but you get the point. Like one of those guys that could be that random name that's thrown in as a hot commodity that can play some defense and can hit some three-point shots that teams might find some value in. And before we end today's show, Doug, I know you wanted to give a shout out to the pride of Gastonia, somebody getting a pretty nice honor. Yeah, Daryl Armstrong. He went to my high school, Ashbrook, uh, go Green Wave. Uh, Daryl Armstrong will be inducted into the Orlando Magic Hall of Fame. So the ceremony is going to take place on February 21st. He'll also be honored that night during the Mavericks Magic game at Amway Center. Daryl Armstrong right now an assistant on that Mavericks staff. So congrats, Daryl, pride of Gastonia, baby. And pride of Fayetteville State, I believe. And also the only thing I remember, not the only thing, but the number one thing I remember Daryl Armstrong for is 
the layup that he attempted in the dunk contest. That's what I remember Daryl Armstrong. You're correct. Fayetteville State University, the FSU. (laughs) The FSU. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back to recap the Wizards game tomorrow.